So it's always good to follow a singer, especially someone like Mally that can sing. You know, if if there is a struggle in, in preparing a message, it's always, here the past couple of weeks, it's always been something to open up with, to, to grab your attention. And, and I try to search for something. And, and I've realized over the past couple of weeks, I haven't had to search very far because it's always been something in my life or something that's happened this past week that I'm able to share with you, i.e. going to the NASCAR race. Things like that. Enough said, right? Well, for those of you that don't know, this week is going to be a very interesting week in the Campbell household. And here's why. Sandra is going to be away all week in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. Yeah, you can chuckle at that if you want to. That's fine. Yes, yeah, so she left out this morning. She's uh, pursuing her master's degree and she has to go up there for a week of class. And so... Uh, I am home alone, which I love that movie, by the way. And that's pretty much what it's going to be like at our house for the next five days. I, I love my wife. You, you guys pray for her. She travels. It's a five and a half hour trip or so. And uh, so uh, Graham understands. Grady don't quite understand. I told Mark this morning he'll he'll understand at one o'clock this afternoon when it's time for his nap. And Mama's not there to rock. And it's Daddy. Uh, but we'll get through that. But I love my wife. I love that she knows me. I'm a very schedule-oriented guy. I mean, my calendar is like a Christmas tree. I have color codes for everything that I do. She knows that, yet she still does this to me. <laughs> this isn't even the half of it. I'm riding on, I'm cutting grass last night, alright? It was the only time that I had to cut grass, so... And I know, listen, we live beside the bed and breakfast. If you've gotten married there and you've heard my lawnmower, my weed eater, I'm sorry. It's usually the time that I have to cut grass is Saturday evenings when a wedding's going on. And so I'm cutting grass and I'm sitting there going, okay, how am I going to start tomorrow's message? Sandra and Grady had left. Graham was with my parents. And uh, I walk inside after cutting grass and I look on my desk and on my computer. There's this. And this sitting on my desk. Now, this is for today and it's reminders. No children's church choir or children's church. No children's choir Wednesday night. All right. So parents make that note. No children's choir. You certainly don't want me leading it. And then Stacy Carnes, who helps Sandra, her dad's having surgery this week. So you guys definitely remember that. Uh, so they won't be able to, to be here Wednesday night for that. And then Sandra's mom is having surgery tomorrow down in Charleston, so they're on their way for that. It's a follow-up surgery from her previous surgery, so you guys remember that uh, this week as well. Uh, but here's what Sandra did for me, and I asked her when she got home, she asked me, she said, did you see the sheet of paper on your desk? I said, yeah, I actually did. I said, uh, what are you afraid of? That... I'm going to let the boys run around in their underwear and paint their chest blue. I mean, seriously, is it real? Are you afraid it's really going to be that bad? Let me let me just share with you. I mean, it is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to be. Are you you got to be kidding me. I mean, she tell it's PE day tomorrow at school. Make sure Graham wears tennis shoes. 
Am I going to send them to school barefooted? I, I, I can't make this stuff up. And I'm riding on my lawnmower last night going, what am I, how am I going to start this message? And then, glory, it's sitting on my desk. It's right here. Now, Tuesday is, is one of the, the biggest fundraisers that we at FCA do or have is Tuesday. So to add on top of all of this, we have a huge fundraiser Tuesday. And guess what? It is picture day for Graham at school. Picture day. So Sandra has already laid out what he's supposed to wear for picture day because apparently I'm a horrible dresser and, and have no idea how to dress him and send him to school for pictures. So big, bold, black letters, dress appropriately. And at 730, I'm supposed to have him at school. Take Graham to school. All right. I, it's, I, can't, I cannot make... And, and at the end of the day, remember to feed the kids. That's what it says. It's PTO night at, at Wendy's and, and I'm supposed to feed the kids. Like, I, I know that. Right? I know that. And they send folders home every day from school. And, and we're supposed to look at it and sign it. Now, Granted, I don't do that. That's, Sandra does that, so she does have that reminder that I'm supposed to check his folder and sign it each day to send back. Thursday is a field trip. Now listen, <clears throat> listen, 24 kids in his class, and we're talking about this about a month ago, and Sandra said, Mac, do you want me to throw your name in the hat? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well... They're going to select parents to go on this field trip. And, and I was working, wasn't really paying attention. I said, yes, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, thinking, all right, 24 people, I'm not going to get picked. They're only taking four. I mean, what, what are the chances, really? And I get a note two weeks later that I've been selected to go on this field trip. And we're going to Tatuga Bale all day. Seriously. And I said, I said, what are you? I've been up there. What do you do up there from 8 to 2.30? You can only shoot so many apples out of the slingshot. So I've, I've got to do that Thursday. And then Friday, here's what she says. Just get Graham to school and relax. I'll be home soon. <laughs> oh, and by the way, on Thursday, I have to pack lunch. That's going to be fun. I have to pack a brown paper bag of lunch. Holy cow. I can't make this stuff up. This is, this is my life. This is my life. As crazy as it is, this is my life. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I would not trade it for anything. Kenny and Lynn called this morning and, and they prayed with Sandra before she left and got to talk to them and, and uh, had some laughs. With them, and uh, you guys continue to, to remember them. Pray for them. Hopefully, you have your rope, right? Hopefully, you have your rope. You're hanging on to that. Uh, it's not frayed. If it is, burn it. It doesn't look pretty, but it'll stick. It'll hold together, I promise. Uh, but continue to pray for them. Uh, Kenny said that he preached this morning and uh, he was resting. They've got a big week ahead of them. Hopefully, at some point, we're going to try to Skype with them, at least try to get them on the phone during the worship service so you can hear their voice. Uh, or their voices, but just continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for our church as as we move forward. We're a little over a month away, 
And uh, really excited about what God's doing here. Really excited about what God's going to do here. And so we're going to continue this morning in our series of going through the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so we're going to be in the fifth church. Uh, the Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And before we read that, I want to sum up the past couple of weeks, all right, and talk uh, just briefly uh, a couple of seconds on each church. Obviously, the week, first week uh, was the church of Ephesus. That's, that church, as we studied, seemed to have it all together. Like on the outside, they were the picture-perfect church. But when Jesus comes in in His evaluation, He tells them that they had walked away or they had left their first love. Then we go to Smyrna. Smyrna was a beautiful city. And on the outside, the church looked very poor, very lost. But on the inside, as Jesus evaluated the church, He in fact told them, you're rich. You may be poor, but you're rich. And then we had Pergamos a couple of weeks ago who was engaged in compromise. They somehow thought or believed that they could be married with the world and blend in so well with the world that no one would ever see or notice. And Jesus comes in and makes that evaluation. And then we had Thyatira. Thyatira, one commentary said that if Pergamos was courting the world, Thyatira was celebrating anniversaries. They were so engulfed and enthralled in the world that they were unrecognized by the world as a church. How sad is that? And today we meet a church in Sardis, the fifth church of the seven letters, the fifth letter of the seven letters, who as I studied this, I believe that they were absolutely quitting. They were pretty much writing it out. And they were not aware, nor were they concerned about what was going on around them. Let's read chapter 3, first couple of verses, and then we'll jump in to the body of our message. Chapter 3, verse 1, To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. But watch this. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can we pray? God, we want to thank You so much again for this opportunity. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to not just study it, but grow and learn from it, God. Pray right now that you would walk among us. God, that you would empty our hearts. Fill us with your spirit. God, better us. To serve your kingdom. To serve your purpose. To bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What a letter. You know, if you look at the seven letters, and you look at the length of each letter, this is the shortest of the seven letters, but probably the saddest of the seven letters as well. The content in this letter is absolutely amazing. Now, we need to remember that these seven letters are written to seven churches, seven real churches that are facing real issues within the church. And every week as we've looked at these letters, hopefully in some way we've been able to relate that to our own personal lives and our own church in that evaluation process. Now, we need to remember as well that John has written these letters. Jesus has given him these words. John is just the penman. That's it. But this is Jesus's evaluation of each church as Jesus went around and evaluated these church. Now, remember that that when Paul in Ephesus, when he spent his time there, his ministry there, there was such a great impact that we believe that all of these churches were established and started through the influence of. Of his ministry there. That speaks volumes if you really think about it. You think about the impact and the influence that Paul had in just three years of ministry there. And how that that not only impacted that one specific area. But it impacted all of Asia Minor. And all of these seven churches. And their establishment. If you look at the map, we remember that John is on the island of Patmos, right? Right off the coast of Ephesus. And then in each letter, somehow, someway, Jesus references the seven angels or the seven stars. And we believe those to be the seven pastors or seven leaders of those particular churches. And if you look at the map, you'll see Ephesus and up. It goes up and then back down. And some commentaries believe that they all traveled together to receive these letters and they went back together. And as they went through each town, the one that belonged to that town, that pastor, that leader stayed in that town and they continued on. Why am I saying that? I say that to say this. We are we are 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 badly mistaking, badly fooling ourselves if we as a church believe that we can do it by ourselves. Listen, if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, it is not about First Baptist. Alright? It is not about First Baptist. It is about making a difference, making an impact for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. We don't exist to push our own agenda. We exist to partner with churches. To make a greater impact. 
We exist to partner. Listen, just this week, we partnered with an incredible ministry called Child Evangelism Fellowship. That allows us, that gives us that vehicle into local elementary schools. And so this past Monday, we sent a group over to Orchard Park. And you want to talk about organized chaos. It's every bit of organized chaos. Kindergarten through fifth grade, 80 plus kids. I'm teaching the lesson and, and kids are hanging on for 15 minutes to this lesson. And at the very end, we present the gospel. Twenty five kids stand up. Now, listen to me. They go back and they begin to talk to our adults as our adults follow up with them. And Charles Duke did an incredible job because he noticed half of them came back last year. One kid, one kid out of that entire group came back to talk to me and he got it. He got it. And he said, I want to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. That's what it's all about. Listen, it's not about First Baptist. It's not about Mac. It's not about Kenny. It's not about Mark. It's about the kingdom of God. Listen, we had another young man just this week in our church. If you see Matt and Holly walking around glowing, you know why. Because their little boy, Toby, accepted Jesus at Good News Club this past week. Listen, that's, what's, that's, that's worth celebrating. It's not about First Baptist. It's about the church pursuing the things of God to honor God. Now, why they traveled together, I have no idea. I'm making my own assumption. But they were partners in ministry. They were men that loved each other. They were churches that loved each other. That's my own assumption. It wasn't about one in particular church. They were all pursuing the same objective, the same goals. Now, there's something interesting in this letter at the very beginning that we don't see in any of the other letters. And that's the fact that Jesus says here, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits. I did a little research because that caught my eye. It may have caught yours, too. You have to go back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And that gives us an idea of, of who this spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit here and the characteristics of. Of the Holy Spirit. Think of those things that we receive upon receiving Jesus Christ. That the Spirit gives us here are six things wisdom and understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and fear. Now, that's not a scared fear, that's a reverent fear. And you add the Spirit in those six qualities, and you have the Holy Spirit. But that's what Jesus is talking about here in the seven stars we've already talked about, knowing that those are the seven leaders, seven laymen, pastors of each particular church. Now, we always start off every message talking about the place. We know the place. It's identified in the first verse. Sardis. It was a rich city, but a very sinful city. 
It was a capital at one time over in Asia Minor. It used to be called Hyde. That used to be the name. And somewhere around 1,200 years before Christ, it took its place in prominence. It was a prominent place. It was a prominent city. Interesting note about the city of Sardis. They had a, a wide variety of pagan worship. They had a wide variety of worship styles. One of the, the most interesting that I found was healing power. The people involved in, in the, the idol or pagan worship believe one of those forms of worship was in healing power. If you went two miles outside of Sardis, they had this hot springs. And they believed that's where the healing gods existed. And they could go there. That These healing gods would bring healing of life. They would bring things back to life. And they believed that they could go there and receive life. Now how ironic is it that dead people could go to an idol god or a pagan god and receive life? And yet, the church of Sardis was dead. And that's where the living God was. Today, you might find it interesting to know that the city of Sardis is in a pile of ruins. It's in shambles. It's a little village called Sarti in modern day Turkey. This was a once prominent city. This is now dead. A city that once, at one time, everybody knew about this city. It was a very rich and popular city. And now it's dead. If you go down to the middle part of verse 1, you'll see Jesus' condemnation. He doesn't commend them for anything because there's nothing to commend them for. Here's what Jesus has against the church of Sardis. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but yet you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. Here's the people and the problem. There was nothing for Jesus to commend them for. This church was dead. This church was absolutely dead. He even goes on to say that you have a reputation of being alive. You know what Jesus is basically saying there? You're playing church. You're playing church. You're simply meeting as a community group. That's all you're doing. You're playing this game. And you're putting off this perception that you're alive. But the reality is you're dead. 
And here's the tragic part. They didn't realize it. But they did and they refused to acknowledge it. That's why I gave this the title, The Oblivious Church. Because here they were playing this game called church. And they were oblivious to the fact that they were dead. Believing this lie that they were alive. That they were doing everything they were supposed to do. Being the church that God had called them to be. When in fact, they were dead. You know, I love, I see Mr. Truett back this morning. I know he was here last Sunday night. And I love what he said a couple of weeks ago at a Wednesday night service. He told me, he said this. He said, we as a church need to realize that we can't sit back on our royalties. Is that correct? We can't sit on our royalties. You see, this is what this church was doing they had established themselves years ago and they were a thriving, healthy church. And then they just stopped. They just stopped pursuing the things of God. They just stopped doing the things that God had called them to do as a church. And they sat on their hands. And they were sitting on their royalties. They were sitting on the things that were done in the past. They were looking at it going, you know what? I've done this already. I did this a long time ago. That ought to be good enough. I'm just going to coast this thing out right now. Didn't I say that a couple of weeks ago? Didn't I say something about that a couple of weeks ago? Listen, you're never finished serving God until you take your last breath. You understand? You're never finished serving God until you take your last breath. Now, the roles in which you serve Him in might be different. They might be different. It might be that you're, you're leading a group here at the church. Maybe you're teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe you're helping the VBS. Maybe you're singing in the choir. Maybe you're a deacon. Something. Somehow, some way. But you never stop serving God. Listen, I don't care if you're 80 or you're 8. There's a place for you to serve God. Church, if we sit back on our royalties and we look back, we've lost sight. We've lost focus. We've lost momentum as a church. Jesus talks about that in the New Testament and the Gospels. The man plowing the field. What does he tell him he can't do? What does he say the man plowing the field can't do? Look back. Right? Right? You ever tried to plow a field with your eyes closed? You ever tried to plow a field looking the other direction? You can certainly try, but you won't be successful. Listen. Church, we can't sit back on our past royalties and think just because we've done this already, just because we've served our time. Listen, criminals serve time. You understand? Criminals serve time. Your time as a Christian is not up until your last breath. 
But that's where this church was. The people of this church thought, you know what, I've served my time. I've gotten this church to where it is today and I'm just going to coast. I'm going to coast. I'm going to ride it out. You know what Jesus says? He says, you better wake up. You better wake up. I think He says it with a little more authority and enthusiasm, but He says, you better wake up. I thought about this as Jesus gave His evaluation. He told them, He says, you better strengthen what remains and is about to die. I see your deeds. I found your deeds and I found them unfinished. And I thought about this. I wonder... How many unfinished buildings there really are. And I wonder if there's a story out there about a building, a popular building that was started and never finished. Now, we've seen that. You've gone in subdivisions, you've seen subdivisions unfinished. You go into cities and you see buildings vacated that were started and not finished. But I found this. An unfinished building is a building where construction work was abandoned abandoned, or on hold at some stage or only exists as a design. I'm going to read that again because I think that's a huge correlation to our lives. An unfinished building is a building where construction work was abandoned or on hold at some stage or only exists as a design. Listen, we as Christians, we're God's building. We're not just a design. We're God's creation. God's given us a purpose in this life, and that sole purpose is to worship Him. And if we go through this life without Jesus, if we go through this life pursuing our own goals, our own wants, and desires, guess what? We're nothing but an unfinished building. Watch what it goes on to say in the encyclopedia. It says, Many construction or engineering projects have remained unfinished at various stages of development. The work may be finished as a blueprint or a white print, but never released or never, never been realized. Or be abandoned during construction. Listen to that. The work may be, a fin- may be finished as a blueprint or a white print. But never realized. Or be abandoned during construction. Have we found. Do we know the blueprint in which God has given us in our lives? And are we finishing that work? You and I, we have a purpose. We as a church, we have a purpose. We have a blueprint. Are we finishing? Now that doesn't mean it will be finished tomorrow. Or next week. Or the following week. In our lives, are we finishing the work? Are we following that blueprint that God has given us in our lives today? That's what Jesus is saying. He said, you better strengthen what remains before it dies. 
Because your deeds, I see them. And they're going unfinished. They're going unfinished. I found this. It was very interesting. The church, there was a church started in 1882. When I googled unfinished buildings, this church came up. It was started in 1882. The projected finish date is 2026. It was started as a blueprint. They worked on it. And they left it. And it was left abandoned. Somebody picked it up several years ago. And now the projected finish date or completion date is 2026. You want to know why? Because it became too costly. And it cost too much to demolish it. So it became too costly to finish, but then it was too costly to demolish. That puzzles me. Here's why. Because I ran across a, a, an interesting article. Thomas Rayner, who is a, a church consultant, does a lot of work with Lifeway, and he's out on his own now. Did a case study of a church back in 2003. And I just I want to read this case study to you. He was invited to church. The people of the church really did not want him coming in. So one individual in the church paid his way to come in for three weeks and evaluate this church. You know what? That's sad. The churches today are fearful of an evaluation. Like we take offense to anyone giving an evaluation of our church. You know what? Sometimes the best evaluations of our church is the people on the outside. The people on the outside, because you know why? They're going to give you an honest evaluation of who we are. Thomas Rayner had this to say. So he visits this church. He's there for three weeks. And as he's loading up, heading out, the gentleman that, that paid his way to come and evaluate the church, he asked, he said, Tom, Tom, what are you, what are you thinking? How long do we have? That's sad. But that church was at this state, and he told him, he said, you know what, if something doesn't change in five years, you'll close your doors. He, he wrote an article several years later, the church actually closed their doors in ten years. Here's, here was his evaluation, eleven things that he saw that needed to change, or they had issues with. The church refused to look like the community. The church refused to look like the community. The church had no community-focused ministries. Members became more focused on memorials. The percentage of the budget for members' needs kept increasing. There were no evangelistic emphasis. The members had more and more arguments about what they wanted. Number seven, with few exceptions, pastoral tenure grew shorter and shorter. Number eight, the church rarely prayed together. Number nine, the church had no clarity as to why it existed. That's devastating. The church had no clarity as to why it existed. Number ten, the members idolized another era. They idolized another era. 
Listen, we can talk about 1950, 1960, 1970, 1980, 1990. Guess what? We're not there anymore. We're not there anymore. I say this all the time. There are some absolutes that I hold in my hand when it comes to my faith and my beliefs that you will not pull from me. We can discuss all day long. I'm not going to argue with you about those absolutes. All right? I have some absolutes about who I believe God's called the church to be. And you know what? You're not going to change my mind on those. We can talk about them. But those are absolutes. Listen. These last two that I just read, the church had no clarity as to why why it existed. Church better have clarity as to why we exist. And then the second one is they wanted to live in another era. Listen, I'm not saying we change any of those absolutes. But we can't continue to talk about what well, used to be like this. It used to be that way. Those are all great. And listen, I'll be the first to tell you this church would not be where it's at today without that era. But we can't continue to live in that era as this church was doing. And the last one, no spiritual emphasis whatsoever, but their facilities were deteriorating. Listen, I've told you this before. I'm a visionary guy. Church needs vision. Without vision, this church will die. You understand that? I mean, the people in the church will die. Not only will the people die, but the building will decay. Because there's no vision. And that's where this church was. Listen, this was in 2013 when they shut their doors. Last year. Last year. And the church of Sardis was in the same boat. The same exact boat. They were going through the same exact things. They had lost perspective completely. They were sitting on their hands doing absolutely nothing. And church, if that's what we do, we're nothing more than a shrine. That's it. That's all that they had become. John 15.5 says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me, I'll remain in you. You'll bear much fruit. Watch what Jesus says at the very end. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Get that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, thousands of years ago, Jesus was tired of the church playing church. He was tired of His people playing church. You know what? In 2014, Jesus is tired of the church playing church. 
He's tired of his people claiming to be his people playing church. I put this in bold and underlined it, and I want you to take this as humble as I can say it. I'm going to go so far as to say this. I believe that when you start griping about programs in the church, when you start griping about the who and the what in the church, who the preacher is, what kind of programs are offered, the style of music that we sing, we start basing our decisions on the we and the eyes. And that becomes the reason why we attend the church that we attend. I think you've missed the point. I think you've missed the boat completely. I think you've missed the boat completely. Where's God? Where's God? In that decision. Jesus then says later on in this text. He says remember. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold fast to it. Hold on to it. That means with a tight grip. With that fist. You hold on to it. You don't let go of it. You continue to grow. You continue to strive. You stick to it. And you don't let go of it. Listen, you can't run away from it. We have the presence of God with us all the time. God sees everything. He's all-knowing. He sees it all. There's nothing that you and I can ever hide from Him. He sees it all. And he says, in fact, if you don't hold fast to it, I'm going to come to you like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when it happens. Listen, the number one thing that you and I take for granted is life itself. And do you realize that at any moment, the very breath that is given to us by God can be taken and we're done? Do you understand that? As a lost person, do you understand that? Those of you that are lost, anybody that is lost, do you understand that without Jesus Christ and your life is done like that, that you will spend eternity in hell? Because we have no idea when Jesus is coming back. We know that He is. But He tells us we won't know when it is. But we better be ready. We better be ready. There is a good part. A little bit. He says, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. Listen, back then it was very appropriate that before you went in to worship, that you went in clean. That you went in clean. And Jesus is telling them that there were some people that held true to the character of Christ. They held true to their love for Jesus. 
There was a reverence. There was a respect there that others didn't have. That others didn't hold on to. And He says, they'll walk with Me dressed in white for they are worthy. For they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot their name. The name of that person from the book of life. But will acknowledge them before my Father and His angels. I will acknowledge them before my Father and His angels. Listen. Listen to me, church. Do I think we're anything like the church of Sardis as a whole? No, I don't. But do I believe that we're a decision or a couple of bad decisions away from being like the church of Sardis? Yes, I do. Listen, this message was not to condemn this church. This message was to warn this church that we better be careful. That we better be careful because it's very easy to sit back and look and go, you know what, we've done a lot of good things. Let's just kind of coast right now. You know, we could have done that a couple of months ago. We could have said, you know what, our pastor is going out for four months. Let's just kind of sit back and coast. Let's just kind of sit back and ride this thing out. Listen, I'm going to tell you what, that could have set this church back. It might have, it might not have, I don't know. It could have set this church back years. Listen, we need to understand that every decision that we make is a direct reflection of who Jesus is. Not this church. We are the church. And it's a direct reflection of who Jesus is. And we need to strive every single day as individuals Because ultimately it will be corporately, but individuals, we need to strive every single day to not be like the church of Sardis. To not be oblivious to reality. And that is the fact that if we don't reach this community, if we don't identify ourselves with this community, we will never reach this community. And as far as this community is concerned, they're going to view us as just another church. Just another community center. And that's not who God has called the church to be. Listen, I don't want to be having conversations. I know Kenny doesn't want to have conversations of how long do we have. How long do we have? Let's throw that out the window. And let's say let's get after it. Let's get after it. Let's identify ourselves with this community. And let's figure out a way to make the greatest impact that we can make in the town of Westminster. But listen, we can't do this apart from Jesus Christ. He's the vine, we're the branches. And apart from Him, we're nothing. Apart from Him, we're nothing. Listen, listen, if you're lost this morning, you need to understand something. You're not attached to the the vine. And without the vine, you're nothing. Your life, your purpose, your direction, you're going nowhere. 
And the only way, the only way to gain purpose, to gain joy, to gain peace in your life is to be attached to that vine. I want to invite you this morning to consider that. Listen, every Sunday morning when this altar is open, it should never be empty. It should never be empty. You should be down here praying. Pray for yourself. Pray for somebody that's lost. Pray for your purpose. Pray for your direction. We need to be down here as a family praying every single week. That God would use His Word. Use you to impact others. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for today. We thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the purpose that it gives us, the direction in which it gives us, God, the blueprint in which we need. God, to follow You, to live for You here on this earth. This morning, God, I I lift up every heart, every mind, every soul that's here this morning. And I ask God, whatever may be going through their hearts and minds right now, that God, You would speak to them. That You would use this time, God, to impress upon their hearts what it is that You would have them to do this message this morning. God, I pray. Pray Your power. Pray Your Spirit over this time this morning, God, that You and only You would be honored and glorified through it in Christ's name. Amen.